as society, hundreds if not thousands of years ago, we've decided that this yellow metal is going to be the thing we use to transact, right? And over time, we just accepted it as, okay, so this is our store of value as society. Now we're seeing something similar, somewhat similar, happening with Bitcoin and people slowly viewing it as a store of value. Days ago, somebody relatively prominent said, uh, Bitcoin is bigger than the internet, bigger than the industrial revolution. Seriously. Was that Tim Draper? And it's exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I don't know why I said anything about it. Bitcoin possesses all the attributes, not only of good money, but of supremely good money. But of course, it's not financial advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Not Financial Advice podcast. Today, we are going to be speaking about what is crypto with Kareem, Cryptodary's co-founder. Kareem, do you want to tell us a bit about why we're doing this podcast and what we're going to be covering? Yeah, first off, thank you for having me. And the reason we're doing this podcast is because most people have a wrong perception of what crypto is, right? Um, other than the typical, like, it's a casino. Um, but in general, there are a lot of misconceptions. And I think it's it's very important for us to clear up those misconceptions because as soon as you start viewing things from right lens, right, um, suddenly just it's, it's logical, right? It makes a lot of sense. And th there's not as much confusion as, as there would be otherwise. And on a very basic level, what is crypto to you? And what does it mean? Okay, so the way I view crypto is as a technological advance, not an asset class, right? So it's similar to the internet as a technological advance, right? Um, and we can dive into that uh, deeper. That's just like the shortest, shortest summary that I can give you of what crypto is. In terms of being represented in an asset class, crypto is clearly seen almost universally as an asset class. So can you tell us what the difference between it being a technological advance and an asset class is? Okay. So an asset class is almost like it's a bunch of assets that share a lot of similar properties, right? So you've got real estate. You cannot really compare it to equities. You cannot put it together. And it's almost like their own two silos, right? Now, usually different asset classes are have some sort of correlation, but usually are quite uncorrelated. It's like assets within an asset class that are quite correlated, right? And that's why people view crypto, like I get the premise of why the argument of crypto is an asset class, right? Because people view it as, okay, it has its own type of correlation and it's almost uncorrelated to the market. But I mean, that's not entirely true because we are quite correlated as of the past year or so um, to the equities market. We just have a much higher beta, right? So it's just a, a lot more volatile because it's nascent. Um, and hence people view that as, okay, then it's an asset class in itself. But where I disagree is in the sense of, first off, not all of crypto is um, one and the same. You cannot put all of them under the same category. That's number one. And number two, all of them fall under categories that currently exist, whether that is commodities, equities, so on and so forth. And I'll explain further, right? Let's take Bitcoin as an example. So in reality, like the, the way I view it and the way like it has advanced regardless of the fact that this was perhaps not its initial vision, like 
as far as it was in the Bitcoin white paper, right? But the way Bitcoin has advanced is that it is slowly becoming a, a store of value, right? And how a store of value progresses um, in society, right, is simply by society choosing it to be a store of value. If you look at gold, the undisputed store of value in society, right? Technically speaking, it's not the rarest metal, right? Platinum is rarer. And then there's another one that has a weird name that is also even rarer than platinum, right? And all of them, like, they're not like some sort of liquid metal that you can't really um, use and whatnot. They're, they're solid, right? But yet, as society, hundreds if not thousands of years ago, we've decided that this yellow metal is going to be the thing we use to transact, right? And over time, we just accepted it as, okay, so this is our store of value as society. Now, we're seeing something similar, somewhat similar, happening with Bitcoin and people slowly viewing it as a store of value. Now, this is not across the world. Seeing it with some institutions, granted, right? Um, even like Paul Tudor Jones, one of the best investors of all time, right? Um, he views it as almost a better version of gold. But again, like he doesn't discount gold in there either, right? But the way I look at it is if you look at countries that have got, that have got like hyperinflation, Venezuela went through this, right? And people actually now don't hold the currency because the currency is just being devalued at unprecedented rates, or at least like was, and I don't know where it is now. But the, what I do know is that at some point in time, there was like money, literally stacks of money, bags of money just being thrown around in the street because it's valueless, right? And so people decided to use this sort of digital asset, digital gold, right, to store and preserve the value of their holdings. Now, yes, there's the argument that it is very volatile as of now, right? But its volatility has certainly decreased over time and are keep on decreasing over time. We're just not at a stage where it's like fully accepted by everyone that it is a store of value. So there on it's in itself, right? Bitcoin is simply gold 2.0. It's a better version, granted, because you've got easier divisibility. If I've got an ounce of gold, I want to pay you half an ounce. Can't really do it, right? I can't really just break it in half and give you half, right? But if I own BTC, I can give you um, once once Satoshi, if I wanted to, right? And besides that, transfer is incredibly simple, right? I can do it online. And uh, storage as well, because if you own a lot of gold, right, you're going to have to store them somewhere, right? You're going to have to store them somewhere safe, and it's going to take a lot of space. And if you wanted to move from one country to the next, you can't really do that. But with Bitcoin, you can't because you just hold it in a ledger and you can travel with it wherever you want and you can store it in a drawer or in a safe and you don't need that big of a safe for it. It's like it's a small USB, right? Um, so that's what I mean in terms of, okay, we view, a lot of people view crypto as another asset class, but reality is Bitcoin in itself is a commodity, right? At least it's becoming a commodity, right? So then you just put it in the existing asset class of commodities. It's just with a twist of decentralization on it, right? The technology here is blockchain, technically speaking, right? Then you've got other things like, let me take an example of anything on the application layer, Uniswap as an example, right? right? So Uniswap, what it is, is we've not recreated the wheel in crypto, right? So we've not decided, okay, here's a new way that people are going to exchange assets. Okay, sure, there's like the, the liquidity pools concept, right, AMNs, but still, at the end of the day, it's an exchange, similar to how NASDAQ and, and the NYSE are, right? So it's just with a 
technological twist on it and it falls under the aspect if you own uh if you own stock assume like I'm, is nasdaq public, publicly traded there isn't i know they have an index granted but as a company they're not publicly traded are they not that i'm aware of now okay so assume they were publicly traded if they were right then you'd be able to own nasdaq stock right in that exchange same thing when it comes to uniswap you just get to own technically speaking a piece of it by owning uni tokens right and the difference in between the two is if you buy stock in nasdaq assuming it's trading publicly right and you can take the example of apple if you wanted to right you wouldn't be technically able to have any say in governance you wouldn't be able to put forth a proposal right unless you own like a certain amount of equity and that would have to be like relatively high like for elon to have had a say in twitter he had to purchase 9.2 percent um of twitter itself right on the public markets and that's a that's not something that most people can afford well that's not something that the vast majority of people can afford right talking billions of dollars here um whereas when you're talking about something like uniswap dydx or now the you know we're seeing a lot of decentralized social media uh come up right then you'd actually do get a say in governance so it's sort of like tokens the way i view it right tokens part of the application layer at the end of the day they're just a better form of stock they're a better form of equity right that give you first off you actually own the thing because you own it in a wallet right that you're self-custodying you're not owning it via a brokerage account right that's number one and number two you do get a say in governance you do get to vote on things yes your your voice is pro rata depending on how much you own of the supply right but that'll always be the case money is always going to be to equate power right um, but you do get a say there. Whereas if you own a stock, you don't actually get a say. And you can just look at it as if you own Meta stock, right? Facebook stock and a decentralized social media, right? There, is a, there are a lot of them that are being built out, uh, built up, but nothing's like prominent just yet. Um, you don't get a say here if you own Meta stock. You just get, you know, a share of the profits if they go up. Well, not even a share of the profits, but, you know, you, you get to get some value accrual if there's more usage, more profitability, and the business, that's better, right? Here you get that. In addition to you get a say in how things go. So that's the difference between the two, but that's why it's not an asset class. It's just a technological advance. It's just, and I'm certain, and that's my thesis, and it may sound controversial, but a lot of stocks and, and uh, existing equities are going to adopt the token model. And I think it was BNP Paribas uh, that announced um, a tokenization platform right we're able to tokenize yeah. uh, stocks or real world assets right so that alone you're already seeing it right but that's a fact like for me tokens are just stocks 2.0 bitcoin is um simply gold 2.0 right and it's as simple as that right so it's not an asset class it's just a technological advance and not just it's, it's like quite a big thing yeah it's interesting you mentioned gold 2.0 because it's not just a technological advance in terms of the gold moving from basic to digital we've also got DAOs, which are company structure 2.0 they're rivaling a system that we had before the internet and it's kind of struggling to keep up with the internet and then we've got kind of financial system 2.0 we're rivaling entrenched systems where there's been no competition for the financial system there's been no competition for the way that things are regulated but both of them are massively flawed 
And if you're being cynical, very corrupt. So giving them competition in the first place forces good action. So it's not just the technological advance, but it's also a stru- structural and community advance on like a global scale. In terms yeah, well, of... And that, that's the point. Like, what, Go for it. I, sorry. I think there's some sort of lag between the two. Um, but the, the thing there is even self-custody, right, is like banking 2.0. Now, if you own stable coins on Ethereum, right, on that network, it's technically a new sort of bank, right? Because if you want to exchange assets, you can. If you want to lend it out, you can. If you want to earn um, yield on it, you, get, you can. And obviously, if anyone who tells you like they've, they're going to give you 100% APY or the crazier numbers, right, usually, usually is going to end up uh, crashing down at some point. Right, um, so don't believe that uh, those crazy numbers. Um, and if you want to just store assets, you can. Right, and and the difference is that you actually own your assets. Granted, there's a level of risk. Right, I'm not saying that crypto is all perfect. There are a lot of problems that need to be solved, but you actually own your assets. And what we've seen in a lot of countries where banking banking systems failed, right, is that's the problem with, with, with centralization is that you've got humans sort of um, governing, right? And humans, at the end of the day, there's always an underlying level of greed. And at some point in time, you can corrupt people through money, right? And we've seen this in many countries. Uh, and their banking systems simply fail because they lent out money to people that they shouldn't have lent out to simply because of um, either power, influence, or being bribed. Right. Whereas if you've got everything sort of ruled by code, they don't have that issue because code cannot be bribed. Right. Code can be can be um, can have mistakes, can have bugs. Right. So there's smart contract risk there. There there are risks, hundred percent, when it comes to like self custody and itself today. Right. Um, but I would say the risks of the current banking system are far higher than the risks of uh, self-custody. Obviously, I'm not talking about like nascent chains and just trying that out. I'm talking about existing chains that, that are quite robust, like Ethereum. It also comes to the point where when there are no risks within an ecosystem, you're at the point where it's reached maximum growth because realistically, if there are no risks, everyone's going to be in there. So if we were to be involved at the point when there's no risks, then there wouldn't be the upside that we can see at the moment. Yeah, so 100%. And, and that's the point of... This is sort of the vision of crypto in terms of where we see it going, at least where I see it going, right? Over uh, the next few years, perhaps it takes a decade, perhaps uh, longer, perhaps shorter, right? No one can really put a timer on it. Um, and at some point in time, people will adopt it and it'll become like everyday life and people won't know what they're using at the back end. They just know that they've got like a really slick interface on their phone and they store all their funds. They know that they own them, so on and so forth, right? Um, but, and that's where the majority of people are going to come in, to be fair, in terms of actually being users of crypto. The, the betting and speculative aspect of crypto, right? Because the way I view speculation and, and, and investing is simply you get to back things that you think um, improve um, society as a whole, right? Help advance humanity. And if you're correct, right, then the market is going to reward you with money because your judgment was right, right? And hence, because your judgment was correct, here's more money for you to manage, right? And bet on correct things again, 
that's sort of how if you're investing, right? Sort of the market rewards you if you've got proper judgment. Um, and that, that betting part, right? Obviously the risk rewards like quite high, but the risks are also high um, today in terms of like betting on crypto. But again, maybe like, you know, we're degenerate gamblers, but that, that's where we are. I wanted to ask you as well, your view on, so we're talking about the technological advancement and the fact that crypto isn't necessarily an asset class. One aspect that people might say could only be classified as an asset class is kind of shit coins and the, what you say, gambling, when we have the bad cryptocurrencies that don't actually do much for advancement. Would you consider those an asset class or do you, they fall into the technological advancement side as well? It's just like the dot-com bubble, right? During the dot-com bubble, there were a lot of um, shitty companies pop off and their stock went up quite significantly during the 99-2000 era, right? And then they crashed and never recovered, right? Um, anytime you've got a new uh, industry or new technology, you're going to have a lot of people try to come in and build. And, and the reality is not all of them are technically scammers, right? So yes, there are people who come in intentionally with like have bad intentions. And so these guys want to build something and just, you know, rug, uh, rug you basically. But then there's a part where people view them as scammers, right? And to some extent there is like blame to be, to be uh, thrown at them, but they're simply incompetent, right? And they come in and they try to bite more than they can chew. Um, and we've seen this, we've seen this a lot and you see this sort of rise even higher as the market um, goes up into new all-time highs. Because when, when the market is going great, right? People are making money hand over fist. There's more people coming into crypto as well. It's easier to make a sale to people. But a lot of people try to build something that simply doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And, and we've had talks with projects like that. Um, one time they wanted to cover our podcast, but after like telling them that I'm gonna be completely honest with them, they just like decided not to do the podcast. and. I'm not going to name names, obviously, but the idea there was like tokenizing the carbon footprint. Like, why the hell do you want to tokenize the carbon footprint? Like, how does that? Like, just, here's another point. Like, you should only apply technologies when when they act to existing models, right? As long as they help propel you further, right? But you don't implement technologies just for the sake of implementing technologies. That's like nonsense, right? Um, so, shit coins are technically speaking part of. Uh, crypto within the because it's, they just use the technology it's just like the same uh, type of like penny stocks and the same type of previous stocks during the dot-com bubble right it's just now they're using the token model it's, it's the same thing it's not a new asset class it comes to a point as well i think the reason there's such high potential reward in crypto at the moment is there's so many complexities a lot of people don't understand them we have a lot of projects and i'm going to throw out a number which is completely made up but i would say in five years at least 90 95 percent of what we see today will no longer be around and that's why it's jobs like ours to research everything and find out what we think is going to stick around and identify the key trends speaking of the yeah, trend so has i think we've got a bit of a lag and um, go for it yeah yeah, so that's actually, that actually happens every cycle, right? If you go through um, the different cycles um, that the crypto market has gone through, right? And you check what the top 10 assets were by market cap during, um, say, the peak of a bull market. And you can, you can time those based off of BTC, right? A lot of them 
are no longer around. Well, technically they're around. They're not like the, the, the chains are there. If you want to buy the assets, you could figure out some way to, to buy them, right? But they're trading near zero and they've just um, basically streamlined back to zero since then. They've, they're dead, right? They're dead coins. They're dinosaur coins. And so every cycle we have the same uh, things pop off. Now, some aspects that jump from one cycle to the next, I'll tell you, like I'll give you two examples. Um, I would say XRP is one of them. It jumped off from the 2017 cycle it was there and the 2021 cycle it was there as well. It didn't do any new all-time highs, right? A lot of them don't do new all-time highs, by the way. Um, it's just sometimes there's too much money behind something to make it just vaporize very easily. It'll take time for that to sort of like fade away into the background. Um, and you've got a few examples. You've got EOS, right? Biggest ICO of all time, like $4 billion. So, I mean, they've got too much money to sort of just have that fade away into the background. Um, ADA, I would say, is, uh, is there as well. I know that's a controversial opinion. It's just my opinion. I'm entitled to my own. Um, so you've got a lot of assets that, yes, they do stick around from cycle to cycle, but the majority of them actually die out, right? And you've got new assets popping off. And one of the newer assets, like this cycle was Sol, right? Um, so every cycle, we've got new ones. You've got the, the the ones that keep on going. You've got BTC and ETH that have kept on going through throughout cycles, right? Um, and most of them just die out. Yeah. And to go to a more interesting kind of a view on why you got involved in crypto in the first place and what potential you saw in it when you first got involved... Okay, so when I first got involved in crypto, I first heard of BTC in around June 2017. I remember I was trading around $2,200, give or take, right? And I had that conversation of, oh, yeah, that looks cool, so on and so forth. I'm going to buy uh, one, right, and just see where it goes. And you know those conversations that you never just you just forget about them and just ignore them, right? Because you're like, yeah, I'm not too sure about it anyway. Um, that happened with it. Then in August 2017, a friend of mine brought up that conversation again, and I bought like my first little bit of BTC that I still don't know where it is to this day. I can't remember. I bought it with a with a debit card, so that tells you like enough in terms of how uh, savvy I was. Um, and then I fully entered crypto in about October, November 2017. So to me, I'll be very frank and honest the way I've entered crypto was purely as a way to make money. That's how I viewed it, right? And I still view it to this day as obviously a way to make money. Um, but because I've gone through the cycle of being completely ignorant about crypto, right? And going through a peak of having 10x my money in like two weeks and then lost it all over a period of time, trying to trade it on the way down, which caused me to lose, to lose even more, right? That was throughout 2018, like throughout the 2018 bear market. But the, the difference is, was, was that I stuck around, right, in crypto. And I was like, there's certainly some form of way that if I learned this properly, I would be able to make money on it, right? And tried trading, eventually, you know, found out it's not like my strongest suit, right? And eventually went towards thesis-based investing, right? In addition to building in crypto, right? And that was like through Cryptonary. And the reason like we do what we do is because the onboarding process currently in crypto is quite um, hectic, complex, and filled with um, holes in the middle of the street that you can fall into, right? So the purpose of crypto right now is because I've gone through that experience, right? And because I've gained knowledge over time, we can 
help ease off that for people by first off going in with the correct mindset, right? Because I did view it as a gamble at first when I first entered. And usually, and that happened to me, when you enter into a space and you view it as a gamble and you're not sizing accordingly, right? What ends up happening is you end up losing more money than you would want, you would have wanted to lose, right? And you end up being hurt. What happens to most people is that they eventually leave crypto, right? And for them to con to convince them to come back, it'll take like another cycle. And that's a lot of time, right? And usually they'll come back like near the peak of the next cycle, right? Get hurt again, probably takes like two cycles to come back, right? So you keep on you keep on churning a lot of people in crypto, like a lot of the market entrants, right? Because of all the scams and, 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 and shit coins that are there. And because they view it as a casino and a gambling opportunity, right? But they, they, they for, for some reason, they view it like a, like a lottery ticket with almost a guaranteed return, but that doesn't exist, right? There's no such thing as a gamble with a guaranteed return. Um, well, nothing is guarantees a return, to be fair, um, except for treasury bills so far. <laughs> uh, but even then, like, maybe it's on shaky grounds at the moment. Um, so what happens then is that you just delay adoption even further and further because you have say a thousand people coming in in a cycle 700 leave because they were hurt you only keep you only retain 300 of them if we can help those out of the thousand instead of 300 staying if we can help the crypto space to have 500 stay right then we simply boost adoption at a faster pace right and that's sort of the mission we're all helping onboard people but because we're looking to onboard them properly into crypto right um, then their journey hopefully becomes uh, simpler and they stick around in crypto. So that also boosts the adoption of the industry we love. I think as well, <clears throat> realistically, at least in the last four years, because there's been so much to be made, anyone who joins generally joins first for the money. And then it's situations like the FTX collapse that turn people, make them question why they're here in the first place. And then make them think about kind of on a deeper level what it actually does and how it works. Brings you back. Yeah, to and then then all of a sudden you're in it. Yeah, all of a sudden you're in in, in it for the tech, right? <laughs> it happens every cycle. Um, and and I do like the tech, honestly. I, I genuinely do like the tech that that's happening here. But at the same time, wouldn't be spending like all of this time on it, effort and energy if I don't if I didn't think there's money to be made out of uh this space right it's uh, i'm yeah. not working like as a charity just as a form of oh that tech is really cool i'm just gonna keep up with it 24 7. it's not the case either yeah and in terms of some things that people often think that are wrong about the industry what are general misrepresentations that you see playing out in crypto okay so besides the biggest point of crypto not being an asset class and everyone viewing it as an asset class, right? I would say the second biggest misrepresentation that and the second biggest mistake that people make is thinking that BTC and ETH and every other um, altcoin have to be used for day-to-day -day payments. It's like the, the weirdest thing I hear, um, in my opinion. Like the, the goal of BTC is not for you to go and purchase coffee with it. Never was the goal, never will be the goal, right? Same thing with ETH, that's not the point of it. Um, fiat works just fine, right? And to this day, everyone, if they want to buy something, they end up converting their crypto to fiat and they buy, um, you know, real world goods. 
And that's the case even with cards like Crypto.com or um, Ledger, I believe, are launching their own card, which really has uh, some people have become eligible for it. But even those, they convert your crypto into fiat and then they send it to the merchant, right? And, and it's not really, it's it's cool, but it's not practical because you're, you're paying a fee every time, right? And Vitalik had a blog post, which I believe was posted two days ago or a day ago, right? On the 5th or 6th of December. And... In that blog post, he stated that he went to Argentina, I believe, and he went to a coffee shop. And so the coffee shop owner recognized him, and they ended up paying in BTC in ETH, right? And one of the comments that the founder of Ethereum is selling you is that it doesn't make a lot of sense because he paid like $20 for the coffee, give or take, and a third of that was simply fees, right? Imagine every time you wanted to tap your card, right, to pay for something, you end up paying 5 to $10 in fees. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, obviously, yes, Layer 2 is making things simpler. Solana has that, but it breaks as a network, so on and so forth. But the purpose of those is not to actually use this for day-to-day -day payments. Fiat currencies work fine, right? But maybe there's an element of fiat currencies need replacing in regards to a new type of fiat currency that is backed by code, not backed by humans, right? Um, not like, for instance, the Federal Reserve, where a lot of um, sometimes incompetence happens, wrong decisions are made, so on and so forth. And eventually you start dealing with the consequences of those similar to now inflation, you know, being at, you know, uh, really high levels. So instead having new fiat currencies that are algorithmic to some extent, but backed by like, maybe they, they don't track the dollar, they track real world goods, they track the CPI index, they track other aspects. I don't know if, um, if, if, I, if I had if I had like a really good idea of this, I would have built my own stable coin, right? But I don't. Um, but that's what we probably need there, like a new type of fiat currency that is available on chain that you get to transact with. But you don't want to have BTC and ETH being used for day-to-day -day payments. It makes zero sense, and that's not the purpose of it. The other point is that fiat currencies have to be inflationary in general, because if you've got a hundred dollars. And you know that your $100 will buy you more tomorrow than it will today in a deflationary currency, right? Similar to how you would expect BTC and ETH to grow in terms of like their value over time increases, right? If you know that their $100 tomorrow is going to purchase you more than it does today, what's going to happen is that you're going to hoard that $100 in order to buy more in the future, right? Whereas if it's inflationary and you know that your $100 is going to buy you less tomorrow than it does today, right? Then you are more inclined to spend it. You spend it, there's further economic activity in a country, and you cannot have a country um, function without proper economic activity. If you reach a point where it's fully deflationary, right, or it's like scarce, like BTC, right, and people won't use it, they will hoard it. And if they hoard it, there is no economic activity, right? And all southern countries stall, economies stall, right? So it doesn't even make sense, logically speaking, to think of BTC and ETH as um, alternatives to fiat currencies. That's not the point of them. I think another important thing to touch on is just the energy and things being bad for the environment. Um, just for clarity's sake, is that firstly, the only one anymore that is bad is Bitcoin. And even then, it's a feature because it's the way that it's secured. So it's using considerably less energy than, for example, a traditional company would use. It does, right? 
and there's the aspect of it i'm gonna i'm gonna give you like the real aspect of it and then the real world um consequences of it to some extent right so the real the reality is that bitcoin consumes a lot of energy but it doesn't consume as much energy as people believe it does for one and for two um at least when like 65 percent of the hash rate was um you know belonged to china most of it was uh hydro energy so renewable energy anyway right um but the reality is esg pressures are real right um sort of like you know green planet and global warming so on and so forth and that plays to the advantage of eth reality that's the reality right because it's proof of stake it doesn't it requires like 99.5 percent less energy to operate um the ethereum network today than it did when it was proof of work right before the merge um and it is pushing people towards believing okay then if this is used it's greener like ethereum is green whereas bitcoin is it right and then that's like a narrative that's that's ongoing and that i i predict will grow further is that people will fuel bitcoin like coal right and they will see like i don't know coal uh, powered trains and they will see ethereum like a tesla right as an example and they'll even though like they're completely two different things right eth is not supposed to be uh gold 2.0 by any means it's just an infrastructure for people to build on top of so it's different but people have misconceptions and so that grows in the favor of ethereum we even saw like the eu talk about it before in terms of maybe bitcoin has to has to shift towards proof of stake right but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's that would be the optimal move for BTC because what BTC also is is like to some extent you can also view it as tokenized energy and that also gives it its value there there's a certain cost to mining a BTC similar to how there is a certain cost to mining gold out of earth right um and but BTC has problems but not problems that'll deal with today problems that'll deal with later down the line when the mining rewards are like the block rewards are gone or like not worth much because at some point in time today the incentives to maintain the network right by miners is those block rewards right now the, the idea and the theory is that the fees accruing to the bitcoin network would be so high that even once like the 21 million btc are mined right and the block rewards are practically zero um at that point the fees would be enough of an incentive for people to to for miners to maintain their uh, hardware on and keep on validating transactions but given the fact that it's btc and it's like gold 2.0 has very low velocity and people just hoard it right they don't really transact with it that much not many transactions um day to day right i can't see that happening that's sort of like the question on everyone's minds what happens when all the btc is mined right who's who's going to maintain the network and what's the incentive to maintain the network because it costs quite a bit to run all this mining hardware um so yeah that's that's like one of the problems it deals with but the reality is it's not as bad as people portray it to be but you know mainstream media is gonna be main, mainstream media and in terms of the benefits what are the key benefits of decentralized versus centralized it's obviously a very broad outreach in question but this could kind of give a picture of why for example the energy used is is worthwhile Okay, so there are two ways to look at it, right? Way number one, by looking at existing centralized elements, right? And then you can look at all of the banks that have shut down over time, right? And you can look at FTX very recently, right? As much as everyone viewed as SBF being, you know, a good guy, right? It was the golden child of, child of crypto before uh, November 2022, right? Um, still, 
we saw like the issues of centralization there, right? Decentralization, you've got code governing everything. So you don't have the same level of corruption. But there are pros and cons to both sides. Now, I'm going to lie to you, centralized exchanges overall are a lot more convenient to use. They're simpler to use. It's an easier user experience than um, decentralized uh, exchanges have, right? Now, the experience will become better here. So I don't view this too much as a, as a factor there, right? But eventually, but you, you also have to look at things realistically in the sense of there's smart contract risk here. Hacks can happen. Bugs may be part of the code, right? And that ends up, you know, um, causing money to be lost to some extent, right? And we've seen a lot of hacks happen in the past as well. Sometimes recovered, sometimes not recovered. Um, so you've got pros and cons um, on both sides of it. Then there's the aspect of it that you can look at society and what it wants, right? Because the way I view Bitcoin, yes, it is gold 2.0, it's sort of like our proof of concept, right? In terms of why the world needs decentralization, right? And does it need decentralization? And Bitcoin presented that model at a very basic level, right? And in that sense, it has succeeded because if you look at the price action of BTC over the past decade, it went from a few cents to now being near $17,000, right? And it peaked at $70,000. Right, so just there, even if even if it just went to a thousand dollars, right, that alone tells you that there is a need for decentralization by society because you know the price action, like market, which is a free market. So like crypto is like one of the very like probably the only real free market out there, right? The free market just showed you that okay, society actually wants this type of decentralization and this type of technology. Now, once this proof of concept was complete. Now I was like, okay, people want decentralization. Let's start building on top of it. And that's where like base layers like Ethereum or L2s or L0s come in, right? Then you've got the infrastructure layer currently being uh, built in regards to having a good user experience overall, the onboarding process being simple, the wallet experience being simple, the transaction from chain to chain, cross-chain transactions being simple, storage, so on and so forth. There's a lot to be built there. But ultimately, it culminates towards one thing, the application layer, right? And there you've got things like decentralized exchanges, you've got Web3 Media, for instance, right, which we're planning to be part of. Um, and then you've got things like the metaverse, so on and so forth, right? But all of it culminates towards that, where eventually people are able to tokenize, take like existing stock and equity and tokenize and be part of the application layer at the same time. So you can look at Ethereum as like the iOS system, right? Um, to some extent, and then the apps, like people use the apps more so like they buy an iPhone because they're able to use all of these apps and like really slick and user experience nice, right? But that's how you can look at it. But um, the, the need for decentralization for one was proven to be required by society given price action. But then if you look at the pros and cons, I believe that the risks in my, the way I weigh things, I would prefer smart contract risk over centralization risk because smart contract risk is something that gets solved over time, right? You're never going to reach a point where there's zero risk in smart contracts and zero chances of a bug. It's not going to happen, right? Um, but it gets minimized over time. I think it's also when it comes down to a simple store of value, if you look at the very first use case, the risks to the Bitcoin network are very, very minimal because we're talking 51% attacks, billions and billions, hundreds of billions worth of value being put in spurt attack and as it grows it becomes harder and harder so when there are as it's unupgradable there's a lot less risk to smart contracts and that's why it has gained so much value because it's just a way of 
holding money without any outward pressures causing issues for it. Yes, I agree. I agree. I hope uh, that has cleared out a lot of the misconceptions of uh, what crypto is. We also have like a couple articles there. So we're going to attach that in the description, right? And we're going to attach this particular video as well in that um, article as well, right? right? That report piece that breaks down crypto in text form in case people want to go through that as well. So yeah. Awesome. I've got one question that we can finish on. It's kind of a fun question. And it's just what the most exciting technological advancement that you've seen this year is. It's still the same, right? I'm not going to lie to you and pretend like and give you like some hyped up answer. It's still the same. It's just the base layers are being built and the infrastructure is being built, right? Quite excited about the fact that L2s are quite um, enjoyable to use, right? They're almost as cheap as Solana and they're with, with um, the new IP 4844. It'll become um, probably as cheap, right? Um, in addition to the fact that it's robust, so I can trust it. So if I put a transaction on an Arbitrum, I can trust that it's going to go through. I don't have to click it six times for a transaction to go through like Solana, right? Um, again, this is not hating us and I do like Salon, but it's got a lot of problems to solve. It's still, it's still in its early days. That That's one of the things that I was like almost most excited about. I like, um, I'm liking the, 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 the sight of the better user experiences as well, right? Like, um, socially recoverable wallets, like, uh, Argent for instance, right? I think that's pretty cool. Right. Um, so that I care about the user experience that people deal with because the reality is most of them are not going to be, um, you know, using DEXs or trading derivatives, right? There is a certain level of people that will, right? And usually those people will have, you know, more money and volume to be involved in those uh, aspects. And there's certainly money to be made there. But for me, I, I care about this technology sort of in terms of how will it be presented for everyone how can it be inclusive because if we want to be if we want to bank the unbanked which was like a very common saying over the past few years right if we really want to bank the unbanked and you want to give an experience that everyone can um, enjoy and it has to be very simple for everyone right so that's really the the things that have most excited me but like things like argent they've been built before right l2s we've just seen more advancement happen um this year right but in terms of like new pieces of technology, uh, to be fair, I would say like the, the Web3 media, uh, social media platforms, the decentralized social media platforms that are currently being built out, quite excited about that. Awesome. I think my, um, my view on what's exciting is probably very biased by what I've been looking into, but I like the idea of things moving into asset management and the ability to get very big returns with very little deposits. But we'll have to rely on regulators to play nice for that to happen. So we'll see how we get on. Thanks very much for joining. That was a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone. But of course, it's not financial advice.